So, are there any questions tonight? Hmm. This is a question I've had for a while, but like the last couple of days you've um, been talking kind of in relation to it. So, I guess the question is, in regards to our soul as we progress and pass from lifetime to lifetime, and we have our, our goal of Krishna and uh, praying and love, it's like, do we have choice, I guess, as to like direction of like which lifetime we'll go into the next? Like, um, I understand like we, like, it's on our heart to like follow our guru from lifetime to lifetime and define them. And then, um, but like also, like it's on our heart to like have like outreach. Would we like stay, stay on this, this plane rather than going to like a purer plane? Hmm. So you want to know if in your progress over lifetimes, for example, in this lifetime, you're making spiritual progress, and you mentioned in relation to guru, so you have a guru. So you want to know if you have any say, any will, as to if you don't perfect yourself in this life, and you have another life, can you have the same guru or something like mm-hmm. that, is one thing. And then the other question is that if you have the desire for being involved in outreach and the distribution of the good tidings of Gaur and Nityananda, will that keep you in this realm, mm-hmm. hmm? which might be problematic, or maybe not? This is, that's, those are your questions, right? Okay, well, the first thing is that Krishna says in Bhagavatam, acharjamam vijaniyam, he tells Uddhava, I am the Acharya. And he goes on to say, one should never be envious of the Acharya, because that's me. And um, he says this in the context of speaking about Varnashram and a, what we might call a less than a sat guru, like a kula guru, like a family guru, like a... In India, you know, you're attached to a particular religious institution and there's a Brahmin who comes and gives the name, um, Sangskar for the name of the wedding and so forth, and this kind of um, idea. So that just serves to emphasize the point that learning comes from Krishna. Krishna's the teacher. So we should try to respect knowledge wherever it comes from, knowing that it has a source, and the source is ultimately Bhagavan, the personification of all knowledge. So India, you'll find, is pervaded by a concept of guru. The teacher is a guru, the father is a guru, the mother is a guru, the elder brother, this, that, and the other thing. So it's a nice idea. And in that sense, then, knowledge is manifesting in different respects, in different through different vehicles, and we respect the knowledge and the bearer, the carrier, as well, because they're carrying that uh, knowledge in Bhagavatam. There's the story of the 11th canto of the Avadutta, the, the mendicant who had, what was it, 20, 24 gurus or 26 gurus? Mm-hmm. And he speaks about the bumblebee and this, and I can't remember them all, and how I learned this from the bumblebee. Uh, to not stay in one place, like I was talking about Madhukari, the honeybee doesn't stay in one, isn't purchased by any particular flower, you know, going something like that. So he speaks about how he learned this from that insect, this from that creature, this from the tree or the moon or the earth and so forth. So uh, Jiva Goswami, I believe, in his commentary, explains that he, he's getting the Siksha everywhere. He's seeing these all, that Siksha Guru is instructing him and so forth. So this is the kind of the uh, where you want to go, in one sense. The guru may say, only listen to me. And if we do that, then we'll eventually begin to see the guru everywhere. The whole world is speaking to us about Krishna consciousness, in a sense. Like I'd like to give the example of the sun rising and setting, and it's beautiful and all, but it's taking away our life. It's telling us that. It's called, in the Bhagavad Gita, Kal Chakra. 
the wheel of time. So telling us you can't stay, you can't keep anything, that's a pretty profound lesson. But we tend to miss it, although it's, it's happening every day. <laughs> and if it didn't come up one day, we'd certainly notice that. But um, we tend to take it for granted and so forth. So the idea is to not take for granted and to be regardful and grateful for everything in life and trace that all out to the fact that we're dependent entities and amongst the many, the plural, there is a singular, and the relationship between the two is the many are being maintained and the one is maintaining. So you want to go in that direction, in a sense, to see Krishna everywhere, to learn from everything, everything speaking to you about Krishna consciousness. And so this is a more expansive idea of the principle of guru. It's a little different than a lot of people talk about today in a very kind of uh, kanishta orientation to the guru where, you know, you've got to have my guru or, or you don't have a guru, practically. That's not very becoming. Sridhar Maharaj used to say, Amar Guru Jagat Guru, this is a neophyte conception, that my guru is the big guru the guru of the universe. He may be big or she may be big because he's my guru, big for me, and and all, but to insist that he or she has to be the guru of everyone, this is not to acknowledge the dynamic flow of faith as it may choose to express itself, divine faith, here, there, or wherever. Not that we shouldn't think that our guru is the best guru, otherwise why are we there? <laughs> That's why we're there, <laughs> but best for me. And uh, there's also the idea, it's a nice saying, I forget what they are, the five things one should cover, cover one's mantra, one saying, what are the others, I forget. And Does anyone know? Japa. Japa. Ishta. Anyway, five, guru. So, in other words, you kind of keep that to yourself. That's a love affair. That's a private thing. Now the idea is to go out and beat everybody over the head with, you know, this is my guru is the best guru. Get in a war over over it. (laughs) And especially I should note, we should note that upon the departure of the guru from mortal vision, this is, of course, an important Time and your question is connected with that as well. With the departure of the guru from the world, when our guru leaves, then the message is, now is the time to find the guru within, to look within and contact. They want to, many people want to keep him outside, just like it was. They don't want to learn the lesson. He's leaving external vision, so now you have to find him or her internally. So this is a time then. You've been schooled. Teacher's leaving now. <laughs> he's got a life too. He's got a teacher too. And uh, he's, got a, he's got a God and, and he's got a relationship with Krishna and teaching is you is something that he does from another angle. He's a student also. And so he's going with Krishna now. He's going with his guru to the uppercut, the unmanifest leela. To try to force him here, to stay here, is indicative of an unwillingness and inability to go within and to heed the call, so to speak. This is a loud message to you. Time to go within now. Like Pujapachita Marcellus, your guru has left. Now you have to reflect on all the things that he taught you. What did he teach you? What does it mean? What is its significance in new circumstances and so forth? This is the time for introspection and ultimately bhajan, meaning to awaken in inner life. And simultaneously, it's the time for somebody else to be, the next generation to be, you know, doing the rah-rahs and jai-gurudev, you know, and, and uh, canvassing and so forth and 
And that's a good thing. Hmm? There's a place for that, and that helps them also. I mean, appropriately. We say you don't reveal the name of your guru. It means that you, you're not beating people over the head with, you know, you should follow my... If you're asked, my guru is, you know. And so it's, it's kind of like makes it more, it's more compelling for outreach, potentially. They're hiding something. They're keeping something inside. And they don't, they don't just give that out to anybody and everybody. So that's attractive, right? So anyway, there's a, that place for that outreach. And when the one guru leaves, then it's time for the next generation to have their day so to speak. So the previous generation is supposed to let them have their their day and to go within themselves and become respectable themselves and, and, and with regard to the wisdom, the, the lessons that have been shared with them, to apply them and so forth. So we see today an unwillingness, unprepared or unaware even that such is the lesson. This is the this is the call, the the, the need of the hour. Guru is left with the mortal vision. We should go inside and find him there. And that is is that being appropriate and so forth, that will create a proper sanskar tendency, nature, to pursue in a real and a meaningful way, to try to keep him here in an artificial way and freeze time and so forth and then disregard the the next person in the in the uh, in, in the succession of persons and so forth. That is to develop a very bad tendency. And unfortunately, it's all done in the name of following the guru and glorifying the guru and so forth. As we have seen, and we speak about a real situation in the Gaudiya international community, it fosters only offensives to the principle of guru and to the Vaishnavas and so forth. So very much, very much to be avoided. It's a huge, glaring kind of lesson for uh, anyone with a little spiritual common sense to learn from. So, the task then is to go within and to stay connected, right? I mean, you may take help externally from your uncle, as we did, for example, from Sridhar Marsh, if that's available, or from a senior you know, god-brother or god-sister, further help and so forth, but help to go within. This is the idea, help in, in that stage, to internalize and to, and to uh, digest the principle of Guru Tattva. What just happened to me? Krishna was in my life in this form. And what's that all about? So we have to sort it out. And that's a big, big task. And in the context of that, of course, we, as much as we do, and as much as the principle of the Guru becomes universal for us, and we, we, we're identifying the teachings coming to us here, there, and everywhere, we don't lose sight of the focal point that caused that to come about, that it will become more attached to that. So that will happen for some students, or every student in some life. And the aspiration then to be in the group of our guru, for example, in the leela that will, will come, and as that aspiration comes within us, then um, in relation to a particular manifestation of Guru in our many lifetimes and so forth, then we can be sure we'll stay in that, that group. It's available for the asking. That's a fact. But you say, well, well, the Guru has gone back and I have not completed my lesson and so forth, and so maybe I have to come back. Then what? So then, then another manifestation of Guru will come, surely. And that manifestation will help you to place you in that group. That you develop the uh, desire, the spiritual desire to participate in. So it's possible, desirable, yes, to stay connected in that way. But there's an appropriate way to do it. And there's a way to, to think you're going about that, that may create just the opposite. And we see a lot of that. So we don't want, in the name of this, following my guru, always being with my guru, life after life kind of thing, and we pray like that, that becomes some form of religious fanaticism that narrows the scope 
that doesn't allow me to see knowledge coming anywhere in any other book, through any other person. You know, Prabhupada's, Prabhupada was, left the world, and Prabhupada felt that he, he came to him in a dream, told him he should take sannyas. Before that, he told, through some fellow, what was Prabhupada doing? He was, he was trying to preach, and somebody said to him, if you want to preach, you should be a sannyasi, because people will respect a sannyasi. Not a householder, or anything, they'll just think, you're really this guy, but you're attached, so why should I listen to you? And Prabhupada said, at that time, I could understand. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsali Thakur was telling me I should take sannyasa, and I was terrified <laughs> at the thought. And then he had then he had a dream and so forth, and a couple other things. So he, 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 through other agencies, this inspiration was coming, but then he would trace it back to that, that focal point. And he would see that his guru, the principle of the guru, which he was focusing on provincially or, or locally, in a localized sense, was bigger than it appeared. He wasn't limited to that particular presence because, really, it's Krishna. And a particular representation of Krishna and so forth just suited for, for ourselves. And ultimately, a representation of the group that we are, that we are where our highest prospect lies and so forth. So we, yes, we can follow that lead and stay connected there. And that's most desirable aspiration. But we have to know how to go, go about it. And we see just the opposite, it, kind of a fanaticism about my guru, for example, about Prabhupada. We see so much uh, of the antithesis. It's so unbecoming. It doesn't serve for outreach that's meaningful. And it doesn't serve for in, inner reach that's meaningful. It's really making, turning a very beautiful and di- very dynamic spiritual principle into something very mundane, actually. It's a mental idea of Guru Tattva, and the mind is a dead thing. It's matter. And this is what the mind and intellect, when not trained, they tend to do. They tend to turn, make everything dead like themselves. Misery loves company. So if we approach the Absolute, the descent of Krishna, for example, or the descent of the Guru, only with the mind, with reasoning, then we won't find. It's like people people here, they want to become Prabhupada's disciple, they think. And Prabhupada's not here, he left the world. They don't want to let him go to Krishna and then go with him there. They want to keep him here and have him lecture on social issues from, you know, <laughs> decades past, <laughs> which wasn't the thing that he was really interested in anyway, but uh, he had some comments here and there, dated as they may be it, which is to emphasize a point that he himself emphasized, that preaching should be done in terms of time and circumstance and so forth. He himself was a flaming liberal. If you look at his uh, the setting that he came from, Calcutta, at the, the end of the 19th, uh, 19th century, to do what he was doing in America, his godbrothers thought he was just off-the-wall liberal. Women and men dancing in the temple room. At the same time, it was always absolutely wild, <laughs> liberal. He probably had become a hippie or something. He'd become like them. <laughs> and then we look back and boy, he was really conservative. Yeah, so there's some relativity to that, how, what angle we look at it from, from the cultural setting that he, he appeared as a spiritual phenomenon within, then it will filter through that. So we have to sort out the cultural filter and the absolute and so forth. And we do, and we find it all charming. Then we don't have to run away from certain statements. We can find they're charming if we date them. If we try to make them now current you know, and viable and so forth, that's, that's the problem. So then we're trying to keep a time and circumstance presentation that has power forever, but more power at a certain time and circumstance, relevant in all respects, for all times and all circumstance. And this is, uh, this is problematic. This is... This is how the unwillingness to go forward and embrace the challenge that that takes to stand on the feet of your your faith and know that that has to grow now and I I have to grow that from what I've learned. I have to grow that faith which is the vehicle to go to the land of faith. I have to use my intellect and I have to use my mind. I have to use my head 
to soften my heart. That's wisdom then. How to use my head to soften, to melt my heart, which is what Prem is about. And the unwillingness to soften one's heart and to let go and to sacrifice and to rise to the to the occasion and, and so forth, typified by, you know, wanting to reinvent the good old days and, and so forth, but not meet the challenge of the of the hour and so forth, is to want to stay in material consciousness. Then it's to make the Prabhupada or whomever, the Vishnupada, into a mental manifestation of Prabhupada. I, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I look at these things and I think, that's, not, that's like a shadow of Prabhupada. This is just a Prabhupada Abhas. You should popularize this term. <laughs> There's Nama Abhas, Bhakti Abhas, Bhava Abhas. There's Prabhupada Abhas, <laughs> the shadow of Prabhupada. And it's a dark shadow that they've cast over a great uh, uh, luminary and um, made him out to be someone that's not that desirable to associate with, whom you kind of have to like be embarrassed about or something. So this is a real shame. This is what you see in the community, the larger, greater community. It's an unwillingness to go forward, to understand the message of the disappearance of the guru from the world and how that's a lesson to you, how that's, what that's telling you to do, to ignore that to ignore the order of the guru, we call that an offense to the holy name, Namaparad, to disobey the guru. <laughs> this is what it is. It's Namaparad. Guru Abhagya. And then you go on with Namaparad, which is less than a shadow even of the pure name. Prabhupada Abbas, Prabhupada Aparad, something like that. And so a very mental and mundane conception of a great saint casting a very dark shadow over a great luminary. And so it comes out in terms of outreach as being very untimely, not well thought out, unappealing. And then from an in- internal side, there's nothing there. So they don't grow internally and they don't grow the mission. The way to grow the mission externally is to grow internally. I mean, that's lesson, I, that was lesson one for me to learn that. that was, I joined Gaudiya Vaishnava to, to grow internally. <laughs> and you should all think that's what you're here for. And as a result of that, in proportion to that, there would be some overflow. And, and then there's a way in which outreach can facilitate inward growth and so forth. There was a godbrother God of mine who used to write to Prabhupada about me and my, you know, preaching efforts and circulating his books and so forth. And the first letter he wrote to Prabhupada about me, he wrote several letters to Prabhupada to bring Prabhupada's attention to me and so forth, which is very kind of him. He, he wrote, you know, he sold this many books and so on. And Prabhupada wrote back and he said, very nice that uh, Tripuradas is selling so many books, but you should make sure that he's also reading them. Hmm? So... Uh, I wasn't a great reader, to be honest with you. I didn't do well in school. I was uh, not motivated, <laughs> I guess you could say. When I met Prabhupada, that's when my life started, really. Uh, but I did, you know, think the books should be read. I, I, did, I did like these books, and I was reading them at the time, but I took that as well as a, as a very kind uh, emphasis on Prabhupada's part. And I became one of the most well-read in Prabhupada's books of his of all of his disciples. And I was well known for circulating them and I would always emphasize to the devotees who asked me, how do you distribute those books? I said, I read them. That's how I distribute them. We had a program where we would go out five days a week for selling books. I created this program and then I had about three or four brahmacharis in my group. And then in two days we would stay back and we would read the Bhagavad Gita for an hour. Then we, if there was a quote, if probably would refer in the purport to the Bhagavatam, then we'd go to the Bhagavatam and then we'd read that purport. If that had a reference to another part of the Bhagavatam, we'd go there. If that had a reference to nectar devotion, then, then we'd go there. If there was a reference to teaching the Lord Chaitanya, we didn't have Chaitanya Charitamrita at that time, then, then we'd go there. When we, that ended, when we'd go back to the Gita where we started. We'd do that for an hour. Then we'd go read the Bhagavatam for an hour, then go to Arctic. 
Nunartig, you know. So he, I think there were five different books or something like that, Prabhupada at the time, Teaching of Lord Chaitanya, Nectar Devotion, Part of the Bhagavatam, the Gita, maybe something else. And we read from each one and so forth. That's a, that was my program. So um, outreach, that comes from who has life, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur said, he can preach. So we can't divorce the two from one another. Like I said the other night, was it the other night we said, you got to know you are here and here's where you want to go. Both things are equally important. You have to know on the map, here's where I want to go and here's where I am. Keep both those things in mind. Then you can go there under good guidance, systematically. Gopu Kumar was telling me this afternoon, he met a guy in a temple of another institution, so-called Gaudi institution, and he met a devotee. He'd been there for 10 years, and his guru wouldn't, wouldn't let him read the Chaitanya Charitamrita. So I don't know why, but you think maybe, you know, keep him dumb, and it looks like I know more or something. I, I mean, <laughs> these books are to be read over and over again, and we are to find our place there, and to have some our, you know, eyes, our mind, I should say, towards the goal, and our eyes fixed on what's the next step, something like that. Eventually then, your eyes will go there, and your steps will go without thinking. They'll go automatically. In Ruchi, then they're going automatically. In Nishta, well, you know, look a good look, and then look up and you can go, and you come down and look again, keep focused through scripture and so forth, exercising spiritual intelligence. And in Ruchi, then, he's just eyes are there and running, and that brings attachment to Krishna and the Bhava and so forth. So, all these are steps and the ladder towards praying, and we have to go about them systematically. The Guru is training us, and there's nothing that he or she does that's not a lesson of some sort. You can find the whole thing in one lesson. It's possible. It's a very extraordinary thing that Krishna comes to us, his Kripa Shakti comes to us in this way. And then suddenly it's gone. So it appears. Of course, it's not gone. You've got to find it in a subtler form and so forth. And then you start to feel, as you do that, you start to feel, like Prabhupada told me, I said this morning, you know, I never feel the absence of my guru, Maharaj, for a minute. So you should be like that, he was telling me. I felt like saying to him, that may be, but still I want to be with you, <laughs> personally, if, I, if possible. But if it is your order to go, as he told me, to Vrindavan for preaching, so then I'll, I'll go there. So it's very unfortunate what's happened, and they've turned this into a very a mundane thing. You should really understand this point. Unwillingness to go deeper and apply the teachings in a meaningful way, understand the spirit of them. The book is there, like Prabhupada gave so many books that he wrote, and there's so many big road signs in them as you read them. Yes, wow, you know, I was supposed to read that. That's really speaking to me now. There was a time when we were in, in Los Angeles, Prabhupada called Dude Dwaraka. I've told the story before, but coming to my mind now and worth repeating. Prabhupada came into the temple room to speak from the Bhagavatam, and his, uh, his assistant had forgotten Prabhupada's book. So one of the students in the group offered his book, his copy of the canto that Prabhupada was lecturing from to Prabhupada. So Prabhupada took the book, and that devotee was so happy that because he's going to get the book back, you know, and Prabhupada had given class from it and so forth. And, you know, that's a cute thing. Anyway, Prabhupada opens the book and he says, What is this? And the devotee had, uh, had used uh, one of those highlighters. highlighters, they call it. Yeah. And, you know, Prabhupada says, why he's crossing this out? He's crossing this out. He's crossing this out. He's crossing this out. So the devotees just freaked out. You know, oh my God, Prabhupada's displeased with me. And then they had to explain to Prabhupada, no, no, he's saying highlighting that that's good. That that's that that's a good part. That's important. Prabhupada said, oh, he understood. You know. So eventually, if you do, if you highlight the book like that, eventually the whole book will become red. You just dip the whole thing in ink. (laughs) The the pig ain't going to get some road sign here. Underline that. Yeah, that's really important, you know. Don't eat meat. That's a really important lesson, you know. know? Or then you understand what Brahmacharya is. Yeah, stay away from women. Underline (laughs) underline that one, you know. After it's all dipped in ink, he comes back and he reads that one about women. He understands it entirely differently. 
he understands it in an entirely different way. One of my godbrothers came to Pujapad Sridharmarsh and he had been initiated by property and wanted to take sannyas from Sridharmarsh. Sridharmarsh agreed and after some time it was the day of the sannyas initiation. So he called him forward and he said, so are you prepared to speak to the women as well? That was the last thing he thought he would, you know, he thought, yes, I'm giving up the connection with the opposite sex and so forth, or whatever he was thinking, I don't know, but, you know, that's kind of part of it. And uh, so Sridhar told him just the opposite, so are you prepared to speak to the women too? I mean, are you that well situated? That's not a problem, this is required, it's not, this is not about running away from anything, was the lesson. If that's what you're doing, you're running away from something, you're in the wrong seat right here, you know, you, you better come back later. No. The Gaudiya Sannyasa is, is for embracing the whole whole world, Yukta Vairagya, to be able to interact in a healthy way without any exploitation, like Balaram with Krishna's gopis, you know, that we talked the other day. So, so even those primary lessons that you thought were really important and they were to you in a certain way and helped you in a certain way, when you come back and the whole book has been dipped in the inkwell, they speak to you as well, but in a different way even. So at any rate, as we go along, the book is, is like, it's got these road signs, like, turn here, stop, read this again, you know, <laughs> arrow, you know. And there's a reference to another book over there. And suddenly you read, hmm, he's pointing to that book. I remember, maybe I should read that book. He's recommending that book. He says, if you want to know more about this topic, you can read here. And you get this idea, yes, everything is in my books. Ah, I see. Everything's in his books, and his books are bigger than these pages that are his books, and they include his other books, and he's referencing to that one of the whole Gaudiya canon and so forth becomes Prabhupada's books. Right? A more dynamic understanding of the guru, more like that universal idea that I was speaking about before. So sometimes they say like that, you know, Prabhupada's in his books, so we don't need anybody, but they don't read the books. Somebody says, I read Prabhupada's books, so I don't need a guru. A fellow told me once, this was years ago in San Francisco, he said, well, thing is that, you know, I had a dream. <laughs> okay. And his dream was, actually, in the name of being spiritual, it was less than Martin Luther King's dream, you know which is mundane, but it was big nonetheless. In the name of a spiritual dream, his dream was so narrow. He said, anyway, his dream was that Prabhupada came to him in a dream and he was thinking, what about guru? Do I need a guru? And Prabhupada brought me into this library and said, there were all his books. And he said, just read my books. And so I said to him, so, well, what did you do? <laughs> He said, well, I don't need a guru. And I said, no, you're supposed to read the book. I guess it was a spiritual dream, but there's interpretation of it. You're supposed to read the books. Then you got your answer, you know. The answer is on every page, practically. I mean, when I first tried to read, you know, Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita, that's what it was like for me. What I got from it is, you got to find a guru. And it was so nice the way Prabhupada wrote it, because I never thought, well, maybe he's a guru. <laughs> It was really nice in that way. It dawned on me later. Yeah, he's he's a guru. <laughs> so um, so much he was putting, in other words, Krishna forward. So much he was really representing the concept, the ideal, the the, the, the knowledge, and so forth. So to go in and read and, and and understand the spirit of it, and then you're going to be like I had to write somebody the other day, and I said, "There's nothing that I do or that I say that." I cannot give support to from something that Prabhupada said or did, albeit an extended conception of Prabhupada that includes the teachings that he represents, that he embodies, and so on and so forth. I mean, it's a big idea, in other words. When we get connected to our guru, we get connected to the guru parampara. If you have one guru, then you have many gurus. One real guru, you have many gurus, that's for sure. You're connected to the, in the language of Pujapachitamara, the land of gurus. But if in the name of having many gurus, you don't accept one, 
where is the bottom line, and I put my head here and so forth. You have none, actually. You pick from here, you choose from there, you stay right here, right between your ears in a small world of your mind only. You never come out from that. You are allowed to remain big. You pick and choose here and there and so forth. You never have to submit anywhere and understand that you're actually small, which is big. Small is big, as they say in Zen. (laughs) And that's a fact. To be small, to know that you're small, that's big. You learn a big, big, big lesson then. And you come in touch with the big, Mr. Big. And he looks small. That's amazing, right? Because he's so attracted to you. If you know that you're small, he wants to get close to you. That's Krishna. Then he looks small, like Krishna. Looks small. Looks like a coward. Like one of the cowards. A little little special, but (laughs) one of the Brajabhasis. So... So these are very uh, important points, and we see this taking place in the larger community on different levels and so forth, this superficial understanding of Guru Tattva. We found with the disappearance of Prabhupada, Sridhar Maharaj was by the transcendental arrangement of the Almighty God that brought to the forefront just to lecture on these points, actually. I mean, to digest those points from him was the real formula for... It's what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm playing it out uh, more, but I mean, this is one of the huge installments that he gave that misunderstood or not understood, as we're seeing, is the source of all the problems. All the problems that you see in the Gaudiya international community all comes from this. So what, who was he? What was his contribution? And he just wanted to, like, give that and fade out of the picture, so to speak. Uh, so, these are important points about Guru Tattva. And with regard to the other question, well, we've touched on that too, I think. You, you said, if I'm concerned with outreach, sharing this with others, then do I remain in this plane? No, if you become concerned with sh- outreach in a real way, for your own purification, we find the Godias are writing, for their own purification I'm writing this. And, incidentally, it's coming in Bhagavatam, the 10th canto, it's mentioned there that this flow of Hadikata that is Srimad Bhagavatam that talks about Krishna, the nectar talks, immortal talks about Krishna. Three people are benefited by this. The speaker, the inquirer, and the audience. Like, I'm speaking, you inquired, and there's the audience. So who benefits the most? The speaker benefits the most. <laughs> The inquirer benefits second, and the audience benefits third. That's the teaching. <laughs> it's good to inquire and better to speak. <laughs> but you have to know the answers, right? So <laughs> that's how you know the answers, by asking the questions. And what causes us to ask the question? To be interested enough in the subject matter that we're preoccupied with it, and questions will come up. The books are there, you read them, questions come, and and this is really the kind of questions we should be asking. Sometimes we get like these peripheral questions that are just like, you know, my mind or something. In one sense, the answer is read the books, you know, chant more, bring me a better question. <laughs> Apply yourself to the practice, and you'll, and you'll, uh, those things will be answered. And uh, how do I become humble? Well, that's what we're doing here, you know. Another question, you know, <laughs> just like do it. <laughs> Uh, you should. You should you, you're a fool for asking the question. You should be humble. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, there's a place for those questions too. But if we're seriously pursuing and inquiring, in, like Parikshit Marsi's, is Parikshit means inquire. He was the Raj who inquired from Sukadev. The whole Bhagavatam is coming from there, or the sages inquiring from Sutta, as we're reading. So the inquiry is important, and the overflow is the audience gets to benefit as well. So outreach means that you've got to become the speaker, right? It means that you've got to listen very well, you've got to inquire very well. And then if you become absorbed in that, you'll be benefited the most. <laughs> and that benefit, what is the fruits? What is the benefit? Benefit is your own growth, your own inner life. This is what we come for. You know, charity begins at home. So be good to yourself. And because what you actually are being good to yourself means being good to everyone. 
if you tender to the need of yourself, your atma, you, the real you, then you benefit everybody because then you begin to relate to everybody to that extent for what they are. You start to act like what you actually are and then people can benefit from your association and so forth. So to be spiritually selfish is to be selfless, actually. Indeed, in the Ragmarg, the term is greed is sometimes evoked. Lolium. That the greed for Krishna consciousness. This is the the ticket. This is the uh, this is the fair, so to speak. You have to become that interested in it, and so that that automatically brings about outreach. And then there's a way that outreach can help. You can also go and speak to people, and they may not they may ask questions. You may not have the answers, and then you come back and you got to find that answer. It haunts you. You can't sleep at night. So you're going through the books, looking at Guru Maharaj. That way, I know I, I know that answer. I just couldn't say it at that time. Next time you're prepared, something like that. So it has very good potential to absorb the mind. That's what we mean when we say kirtana prabhavi, smarana swabhavi. By the power of kirtan, outreach, then the mind will become arrested and inner life will awaken. Remembrance will come. You'll start to feel... I'm in the home region here. I'm in the middle of nowhere talking to somebody in Timbuktu, but I'm feeling at home. I feel like I'm closer to something very familiar. I'm touching myself. And, and that, in connection with Krishna, it's... So outreach is good, and, but we, we, you can err on the side of outreach and you can err on the side of reaching inward also. Some, some balance to understand all these things properly. I don't know where to go and where you are. This is important. You see people just clamoring about preaching and outreach and they have no interest in inner life. And their interest in outreach, if you look at it from one side, translates into fighting with other devotees only. (laughs) What is the meaning of that? It's one thing to disagree with devotees on the basis of what devotion is and then to enter into a discussion where you represent and so forth. These days you do that and people still don't. They're so unacquainted with it, and they're so unacquainted with the method of arriving at the conclusion, the Siddhanta, that even if you go through the exercise, they just dismiss. I mean, what do they think? Someone had asked on the harmonist some question about something like that, and I said, you know, the reason of it was about this Ritvik idea, and I said something, I explained this, some of this concept of how there's something called a Purvacharya, means a previous Acharya, means he's gone to the aprakat, to the lila and so forth. So there's a place for that. The word, it's called purvacharya. It means previous. And there's a word called paramparat, means one after the other. So there's going to be another. And then there's a previous. So there's a contemporary representation and there's a previous. You can't merge these two here. You know, one is not synonymous with the other. And there's a way to relate to the previous and a way to relate to the contemporary and so forth, and we should understand all these things. And the previous one is not the one that's going to be given initiation all, but he's doing something else right now. He's left that task with somebody else. You want to keep him here to, again, that's what I was talking about earlier, keep him here to be the initiator and so forth. And Krishna's already said, I don't want him there anymore. I want him with me. What about that? Well, we don't care what Krishna says. We want him now. So after I was explained it real nicely and so forth, and in the end, I said, you know, and I'm initiated three times by Prabhupada, personally. So you might understand why I might take umbrage with your, you know, idea here. I mean, I, I know something about what his teaching is. And the follow up, I go, who cares that you're initiated three times? Ooh, big deal. You know, <laughs> laugh out loud, you know. Whoa, whoa. I'm supposed to be scared. I'm <laughs> like, like, you know, what? I said he wrote something to that effect. So I wrote back, I said, well, enough, but, you know, I'll say this, Prabhupada cared. Prabhupada cared enough to give me three initiations and he expected I'd live up to them and I, I think I got a pretty good record for that. So that you don't care, well, you know, that says something. You don't care. Prabhupada gave me sannyas, told me to preach to devotees. This is what he personally told me to do. That's what I do. Am I doing that? Do I do that? <laughs> so what is your position to fault me? Well, I just said Prabhupada's book, well, who sold it to you? <laughs> What airport did you get at? <laughs> right. So you, know, you, you can't just 
separate Prabhupada from all these people that made Prabhupada who he is, in a, in a sense. Made him the person people go, yeah, I had to get initiated from him if he was here today in a minute. In fact, I want to imagine that I am. Why? Why do you want to? There was a whole group of people who were his disciples who were like facilitating him in a way that made it clear that you know he was who he is. But we had to sort that out. You know, Prabhupada came to America and it was like, okay, so there's some Swami here. So that's interesting, you know. And it wasn't like all these people going, he's got 60 books, he's got 108 temples everywhere, you know. Uh, somebody said he's a Shaktivesh avatar, you know, and, and everybody should follow him. Nobody was telling that to us, you know. We had to think, just, you, know, well, I don't know, I, you know, should we follow this or what? Or, you know, or, on different levels, people had to go through the exercise of finding their guru and finding it was Prabhupada. And you can't get away from that. You want to just do away from that and all. Everybody, you know, has, like I say there, all the things that you could say about Prabhupada now, and who's saying those and who made those all, you know, who facilitated all those things? They had faith, and they exercised themselves in such a way that that faith grew, and the figure of Prabhupada looms, you know, as large as it does. So you, you can't divorce him from all of those persons, especially those who are, you know, continue to represent him in a meaningful and uh, dynamic way, in the standard way. I should say, the standard way, which is Guru Parampara. It's like they want to give all these fancy explanations of how to, you know, adjust the thing and so forth. And we say, well, let's just, why don't we just do it the simple way? Like the Gita says one after another, you know, find a qualified one. And that's pretty simple. That's like been going on for thousands of years. And yeah, but some of some there's misrepresentation. Then, well, you know, because of all these Western gurus. I said, you know, go to India. There's more bogus gurus than anywhere per capita. <laughs> there's millions of them, you know. <laughs> so, and again, as much as there's misrepresentation, then something is being misrepresented, though. It must be represented properly somewhere as well. And our task is to find that out to our satisfaction. And how we find that out, I was touching on this earlier, it's not with our head that we go and find that out. It's with our heart, out of a necessity. We feel a need, and we go with our heart, and there's some openness. We're in a teachable space. We don't go, all right, I'm going to check it out, you know. Have you got <laughs> put my, you know, reasoning goggles on, you know. Okay, let's see, you know. That, what does he do? How does he do this? How does he do... And do they do that to Prabhupada? No. If they did that to Prabhupada, he'd be rejected a thousand times over. If they put the same glasses on, right? Prabhupada will contradict himself in the books and so forth. I find it charming, you know. Or I find reasons why and so forth. And so, and they'll just like totally ignore that. If I did something like that, you know, like that. There it is. See, he's unbonafide. They got the... So, you know, and much worse than that. I mean, you know, practically... They're approaching in a way that you will never find guru. Never. You have to be intelligent. You have to use your reasoning and so forth and apply that. But there has to be some sense of necessity. This intellectual, if you will, solely, so-called reason, it's really like not very reasonable, approach to it is an aggressive kind of a putting oneself forward. Like, And it's like, I'm going to find the best guru because I'm the best. <laughs> Only the best for me. That's kind of like underlies it inherent in the approach. And so they're looking for faults. When I was looking for a guru, I wasn't looking for faults. I was looking for help. I had it, felt I had a necessity. I had stacked up all these books about yoga and meditation and Santa Cruz Mountains. And everywhere I go, I ask people, how do you meditate? How do you meditate? And they'd say, oh, you just meditate. <laughs> And I packed up all these books, and then I decided I was going to... I went to... Well, it's a long story, but I went to Jamaica to live in the hills in Jamaica. Walked up into the jungle, and and we were the... It was two of us. <laughs> two and a half of us. Uh, and uh, I lived in... Built up a little bamboo hut, and lived in the jungle, and, and there I was going to meditate, you know. And I had all these books, backpack, all these books I brought. I read all these books... Oh, I just figured out, out, out a little bit of that. I built a bamboo hut, and I was living there. And we were eating. We learned how to cook the roots, you know, how to, you know, from the Caribbean 
was all on the hillside, you know, growing and so forth. And so we could learn how to cook the different roots and fruits and so forth. And then it was tough with the mosquitoes and meditation. <laughs> and then the rain came and it wiped. And I really worked hard to build this bamboo hut with this one guy who was a retired Rastafarian. He had retired from smoking. And those that you know, smoking had seen better days for me, too. So... Uh, so he, he really took a liking to me, and they followed the Bible in some way. He'd quote the Bible, and I'd tell him my Hindu ideas, whatever they were at the time. And he helped me build a bamboo hut, so we were living. But then rain came, and it got wiped out. I thought, oh, this is just too much mosquito. I'm going to build this hut all over again. And I said, I've got to go find the, the Hare Krishnas, because I was chanting the Hare Krishna. That was my mantra. I would chant the Hare Krishna mantra, because I saw it on the, got it on the back of a incense pack, you know. <laughs> It said, chant this mantra and your life will be sublime. So I think nobody else was giving me a mantra, so I took, <laughs> <laughs> I took that one. <laughs> so anyway, you know, I thought, i got to have a guru. i got to find follow this mantra wherever it takes me. i got to be a teacher at the other end of that, you know. So it was out of a, out of a real necessity. And so that kind of openness, that neediness, that, that makes one humble and uh, teachable and so forth. But if you think, you know, I'm, I'm equipped, I've got all this knowledge of what a guru is supposed to be like, I'm going to be real cautious now, and go out there and put my reasoning glasses on and look for faults, then the faults that you're looking for are going to become your own. That's how it works. The more you look for faults and meditate on other people's faults, there's an osmosis or something like that, and it becomes, you imbibe those. Those people's faults can go away and they can become yours. So this is not the way to proceed. Then you get, you end up getting nothing. Like I say, you just get. There is no guru. There's only Prabhupada, for example, in this instance, like a lot of people think, and it's a mundane abbas on the shadow of Prabhupada. So, so no, this um, neediness. Uh, this is a sign of good health. If a young boy is hungry, then he's healthy, right? Si Janmastami Mahamotsubaki Jai, Gaurnatananda Ki Jai, Si Gauri Vaishnav Guru Paramparaki Jai.